Corinthians chapter 1 as we last week began our uh, pilgrimage through this book. And uh, so uh, I'm excited about it. It's just a great book. It has a lot of uh, good things, good practical for us. So uh, I'm glad to be having started it. Um, just by way of review, especially since we know the new people here today, we want to kind of we only, only, uh, only had one message in here so far, but the important thing that we saw last week, and, and it just, I don't, you can't really overemphasize the importance of this, is that is that our, only our creator can tell us who and what we are. Now I thought that, I was going over this before, and I thought I really should have added to that, and he does so in the word of God. Because there are those today who tell us that, well, I was born this way, therefore God, it's God's will that I be who I am. Well, you're born, we're all born sinners, and we don't blame that on God. And that's what we have people doing today. So God in his word, as we saw last week, identifies who we are. I identify myself because God has determined who I am. I identify myself as a man, and that will never change. We can play around, we can think with ourselves, but you can't change who you are. And then, of course, even more importantly, I identify myself as a Christian if I'm saved, and that is who I am. That's how I conduct my life, because God has determined who I am and who you are. And, and to rebel against that is the worst sin. And then we saw our most important identity then is the one that defines and directs all the others. In other words, that God has made me a Christian man determines everything else that has to do with my identity. And so you either have Christians in this world or we have rebels in the kingdom that are against rebels in the kingdom of God. There's only two, at the end of the day, there's only two different kind of people on this earth. The lost and the believers. And if I'm not denying that there are not obviously differences in a humankind, but those matter very, very little in the grand scheme of things. And what we see today are people making those differences, uh, whether they're real or not, to uh, have determined everything else, that they've got it completely backwards. So all other things, we are and do are subservient to this, that we are here to serve the Lord, and everything then is to be subservient to that. Now, today we want to begin a look at really two parts of this, as we'll uh, cover the, these verses down through verse uh, 17 next week. Uh, we're going to deal with the unity of the church. That's going to be one of the main themes of this book. Certainly an important thing. I've, I've been in enough churches to know what happens when there is not unity. And perhaps I'm not the only one here. And so it couldn't be more important. But we'll begin a look at that today as we deal with verses 10 through 12. We'll make some just some general comments about these things and try to build on all this, Lord willing, next week. Keep it in mind that immorality and looseness was not the only, not only a problem in ancient forms as we've talked about, but it, it's seen in the church full of saints who have come out of that immorality. And so, you know, when we're saved, we are uh, given the Holy Spirit, we are made new creatures, but we still have remaining sin. We still have to learn what is right and wrong in many cases. You know, not everybody was raised in a Christian home. 
certainly not in Corinth, and more and more it's like today. So people have to be taught. Sometimes they bring with them things, lifestyles that they didn't realize is wrong. But let's be clear, when we read in God's word what is right and wrong, we repent of our sins and we start to do what is right. If we're Christians, you don't make excuses for your sin. And so it's no surprise that Paul's overall theme is godly living, both in and outside church services. Uh, this is why we have been saved, to live godly in Christ Jesus. And unity seems to be always a place where Christians struggle. Because uh, when we bring new people into the church, we bring sinners into the church, and they join a church full of sinners, right? So it is part of it. We have to do the things we'll struggle with all of our lives. But just like any sin, it should be unacceptable to us if we are unable to love as we not only have been commanded to love, but as we have been shown love by Jesus Christ, we have been forgiven. So it should bother us if we are unable to extend that kind of forgiveness and love to one another, to those brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we struggle with that, we will have disunity. And we see, do we not, in verse 7, we saw this last week, we already have all that is sufficient, enough grace given to us to be able to live godly, uh, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have the Spirit, we, we, he gives gifts to them, different gifts to different Christians as he thinks fit. We have what we need. Peter says it very well. We have all that is necessary to live godly in Christ Jesus. As Christians, we don't need anything more. And we need to grow in that. But we have the power. We have the love. We have what is needed. Like that Paul often tells in his writings to the churches, that he tells us, first of all, who we are in Christ, and then he says, now start acting like it, start living like it. You know, because, in other words, you, you, are, you are what you are, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, now you are to live like that. You know, that's easier said than done, but that's our goal. I, I, if, it's, of course, so the point of that is, if that's true, it means that you're sitting there wanting to love Christ all of your heart, my body, and soul. You're wanting to love God's people because you've been changed, right? That you're sitting there saying, you know, I really don't care anything about the Word of God. I really don't know if I believe in Jesus. I don't really love God's people. Now you've got another problem. That you're probably not saved, right? You know, I think you can say that pretty, uh, with a lot of assurance. You're not saved. You need to get saved. But we're assuming that your heart has been changed. So if, if I, like Paul says, since you've been changed, since you're now a believer in Jesus, you felt the grace of God in, in the gospel when you were saved, now start living that out. Live out what's already in your heart. And the problem is if you've got churches full of people whose hearts have been changed, then they read these words and they just don't get it. They, they think, i got to have something else. Because it's because they aren't changed. And so, struggle, pray, repent, Start new every morning, but sitting around making excuses for yourself is uh, shows a bigger problem. 
And it, that's the Christian life is. It is to recognize your sin. It is to recognize how much I need Christ. And because of that, I need the Word of God. It, it's more than, uh, I need that more than my necessary food. That's what the Christian life is. And so in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, he, he always, in, in, either in, in, refer, in, in inference or just speaks it very plainly, he always uses the gospel as motivation. Because God has shown love to you and grace by saving your soul that he should have sent to hell, that changes everything. You are a Christian now because God has forgiven you. When you are rebel in your sin, now go and do likewise. The gospel is always the motivation. He says, so in this case, it should be the motivation that you all agree. That there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Now, we're going to deal with this, but just keep in mind from the start that there's a difference between divisions, which are a result of some sort of sinful attitudes or actions. There's a difference between those kind of divisions that Paul says should not be in the church, and disagreement differences you know we're not all the same we don't all understand every doctrine exactly the same we don't we all have different things that we believe is right and wrong gray areas we're not all the same but that doesn't mean that we are a divided church and and we're going to deal a little bit with that because some people struggle with there being any differences between anybody and that's not what Paul is saying. Because if that's the case, we're, we're, there's no hope for any of us, right? Because no two people are going to agree on everything. So let me just throw that out there so that we don't just <clears throat> kind of lose uh, the whole point before we even get started. Imagine how disappointing it must have been for Paul to just say that we have all been called into fellowship with Christ, and then he begs that we would ask, act like it. Someone said cults thrive because no division is tolerated. And, and it, what he's saying there is the reason cults do well, at least initially, is because they don't allow anybody to disagree or look differently or anything. You know, everybody's got to fall in line. And that creates on the outside a cohesive unit. But of course, that's not how Christ wants us to be united. And then a lot of churches have struggled with that. You know, that's kind of the, been one of the key problems of fundamentalism is that they say, okay, for there to be the, uh, unity, everybody's got to look alike. They got to have the same hair length. They got to use the same translation. Everything, you got to do it just like this. And anybody who is any different, well, you, they would be excluded or, you know, whatever. And there's a problem with that because that you're, you're trying to do the Holy Spirit's job for one thing. Christ's way is not like that, but I think Christ's way is just as effective and certainly brings more honor to the Lord. Forced unity cannot be as good as the unity of love. In other words, if I have to force you to behave or to do what you need to do, well, how is Christ receiving honor from that? But if the Holy Spirit works in us, His Word, by the Gospel, to be conformed to Christ, so that we don't all necessarily look just alike, but we're all loving Christ and serving Christ and loving the brethren and, and working towards the furtherance of the gospel, 
in love, now Christ is glorified, and we are doing what we're doing from the heart, which is the only way you can the law anyway, right? Instead of being told you better behave, or you're going to get excluded, or we're going to do this or that. You see, it's totally different. If you think about like the Muslim world, Islam, and how that you know that they people are kept in line uh, very often uh, in that particular religion. It's uh, it's religion of the sword in a very literal way sometimes, and uh, that's is that how could that be good or, or just you know your cults? You know, communism is really an example of this, is it not? And it's never quite gotten this, that forcing everyone to comply will never really lead to the citizens being happy and fulfilled. But of course, that's not necessarily their goal. The world is turned off by fighting, but we shouldn't just settle to look like we love each other, but to actually love each other. I remember, I've candidated at three churches. Well, when I say I've had three churches, but I've been passed up. And in each one, I told them early on, I am not going to stand on your uh, your porch and keep you in line. That's the Holy Spirit's job. I'm going to preach the gospel the best I know how to, but that's the Holy Spirit's work. Because if it's my job to keep us holy and to keep us in unity, then we've got no hope. Only God can do that. So the difference between us and cults or forced compliance is not outward conformity, but inward identity with Christ. If you love Christ, and I've said this before, if you know, I might disagree with someone, maybe a peripheral doctor. I might disagree with someone by what they dress. I might not consider to be particularly modest. You know, I might disagree with them, some of those things. We have differences. But if I know that you love Christ with all of your heart, you're trying, you're Take God's word seriously, and you're you're seeking to honor Him. I'm not going to worry about you. I know the Lord will take care of them. We don't have to look alike. In that sense, and I don't think Paul wants everyone to just conform to each other, or as we're going to see here in a little bit, to any man or system. He wants us to be conformed to Christ, and then we'll be united because we have the same goal. Uh, the, the, the term that we use a lot today is worldview. If your worldview is that uh, I am God, He's my Savior, His Word is truth, I'm here to serve Him, you're going to already be headed in the right direction. We're, as a, no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, you are going to we're going to be living pretty much the same, right? Because we got the same goal. And, and the problem with, with, with when we have a uh, lack of unity is that you've got people in the church that's goal is not going in the same direction that uh, the rest of the church is going. And that's always the problem. And so we can, can have all kinds of differences, but it's always going to be our love for the Lord that will unite us into a functioning, loving body. And as the church has always had divisions and denominations, uh, and some, sometimes those reasons have been unfortunate, no doubt. The Lord's work has always gone forth in victory because the gospel works by the power of God, not only when Christians are totally united. You know, that's just the nature of it. And I'm glad that's the case. Uh, so uh, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, 
important that we be united and we have a testimony before the world, but if the gospel required us to live godly without sin in perfect harmony, then we would have, we would have failed at the beginning. Excuse me, and I think that after 2,000 years, we can say that it was never the Lord's intention that Christianity would only have one form with no divisions and agreements. Uh, you know, because uh, clearly we've got denominations, we have some differences that are pretty big and basic, but that's okay, because as long as we're preaching the gospel, remember when uh, the disciples saw some, uh, someone else who was not in Jesus' little group of twelve, out there doing God's work, they said, Lord, rebuke them, and said, hey, you know what, let them alone, they're doing their thing, and you know, let them go, as long as you know, they're they're not, you know, preaching error or something like that. You don't, they don't have to be in our little group. They don't have to be in our denomination. Or, uh, if you're not in a denomination, you know, you don't necessarily have to have all the, you're done in a row theologically. That's okay. Now, there are obviously some times where we have to say, no, you've gone too far. You, these are matters of the gospel that we have to separate from, but those are different matters. It's, it's pretty clear this is the way the Lord expects the church to work. Now, noting that nothing that follows in this letter will work without church unity. Paul's going to deal with church discipline, marriages, gifts, evangelism, and things. But if we are not united around Christ and the gospel, we're, we're struggling. So he brings this up from the very start. Clearly, the Corinthian church is struggling here, as we saw in verses 11 and 12. And so he, he says, let's, let's, Begin right here. This is the first issue. We've got to have some unity here. And as he gets to the end of the chapter, he's going to uh, bring in the fact that we are saved by grace, that God chose the weak. He said because part of our disunity is that we're proud about, we, you know, we have some measure of pride. We think we're better in some way than somebody else. And he's going to knock all that out from underneath us at the end of the chapter to show that there's no reason for anybody to be proud of who they are in some way that causes divisions. So we'll kind of see a flow here as we get to the end of the chapter. Uh, One of the Psalms is given completely over to Christian church unity. We're in Psalm 133.1. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard Aaron, running down on the collars of his robe, it is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing of life forevermore. And so it is a good thing, and I think hopefully we all can understand that, that the closer we uh, are drawn together, the more we love one another in Christ, the more we have in common, uh, the more we have each other's backs, each other's support, the more we help one another, as Brother Ed, you know, with great messages last week on, on encouraging one another, the more we're willing to speak up, sometimes say things that are difficult, the more we show concern for one another. It, it's just a wonderful thing to dwell in that atmosphere. And I think the more we are ostracized from this culture, the more we're going to find we need one another. We need the support of one another. You're not going to get it 
out there unless you are living a very compromised life. And, it's, and so I, you see the, the wisdom of what David is saying there. <clears throat> so I like the way that Paul always likes to appeal to the gospel as our motivation. Because we're too different. We're, we're all too different for us to be able to find unity in a church, even in a small setting, apart from the gospel. Because if, if, if we didn't have Christ, you know, we looked around and, and we all have our own interests, our own, you know, things that we're doing. What, what's, what, why, why is this group here today? Well, hope is because you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you want to hear what he's got to say, right? And, and that's the only way you're going to have Christian unity. Maybe that's why sometimes churches end up emphasizing politics or doctrinal peripherals, translations, hair length, social economic status, because the gospel really isn't the thing that brings the church together, so they have to find other ways to conform so it looks like there's some sort of unity, but it's outward, it's not inward. So sometimes our differences helps us learn to love people. One of the things about the local church is that it creates an atmosphere in which you learn to have sacrificial love for people, even people, so you don't necessarily have that much in common with them. It's a teaching place where I can learn to love and to serve other people and have unity. So what does he mean when he says he wants us to agree? Literally, in verse 10, it means to say the same thing, and by implication, to think the same thing, to agree on it. And in verse 12, here they're saying and thinking differently, and I think that helps us understand what he's looking at. He doesn't mean that we can't disagree on anything at all, but we should have a clear consensus on the matter of who we have allegiance to. In other words, if we get our eyes off of Christ, and we start to look at men and systems and, and uh, styles. And we, and we start to say, okay, this is what Christianity to me is what this man teaches. How this person lives. And we forget uh, that though it's about what Christ, who Christ is, then we're going to start dividing ourselves. And, and I was talking to a brother Ed, you know, the, the guy we had here last weekend. And uh, we both know a, a certain uh, pastor, he's dead now, but we both know him in his ministry. And everybody that was trained at his little school that he had there at his church comes out when they preach, they sound just like he does. They preach his same style. They, they come out little clones. And I think it's kind of what Paul's getting at here. You know, if you're, you're in danger of following a man and you're trying to make him to be what Christianity is all about in his teaching, and that creates problems. And we'll deal a little bit with that as we go along here. So i got to be careful, otherwise I'm going to be speaking a lot longer than most of you want me to. So, um, so they have lost a focus, I think, a little bit about what, what they're here for. They, uh, so you've got... Uh, I've lost my place in my notes here. They have partnered with Christ to do his work and follow his teaching. And part of maturity, though, is not getting sidetracked. And I think they've kind of got sidetracked. Paul is saying it when he mentions Paul or Cephas, who is Peter, Apollos, 
uh, they've gotten sidetracked a little bit. Even those who said that uh, we are of Christ. I'll, I'll talk about that in just a second. So here it seems that they have decided that the one way this or that man does things is really the only way it should be done. And uh, if you don't do things the way he uh, does it or you don't believe the way the system of theology the way he believes it, why you're not right. And, and this happens all the time. Perhaps you're not as aware of it if you're not, you know, if you're not into that world. But, uh, you know, people side with this man. This is, this, this guy's got it together and, and this is, this is who I want to follow. And then when the, your poor, uh, preacher at your local church is, has some maybe differences with this guy or, uh, you know, doesn't see things the way you do. Well, uh, you know, he doesn't know what he's talking about because look, this guy's ministry is huge and you just got a little church over there. And so all of a sudden the poor pastor, he gets pushed off to the side because, uh, this guy does it this way. And I think this is kind of what is going on here. We can spend weeks, I think, listing examples of this, even in today's churches. But one of the banes of the internet, there are many, is that something that their elders have to believe or have the same convictions or style of preaching as their favorite personality. And if they don't, they reject them. Or they at least lose some measure of respect for them. And I've seen it. And I'm not just saying that I've seen it personally. You know, I know this can sound a little self-serving. But I've seen this in a lot of different churches and people. Well, they're so focused on this particular pastor, and you know, the internet has made it so easy to to read and listen a- after these guys. And, and that's great. I do it. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, with going online and listening to some of the great men of God out there. But they do not and cannot take the place of the local church, and they cannot become Christianity to you. Christ is Christianity. The Bible is Christianity. And that's where things can start to go haywire. Paul is telling us, if we kind of use this musical term, he's not calling for the church to to sing the same note. That doesn't necessarily unison. But to uh, to sing the same song sing in harmony. We're singing the gospel. We don't have to be the same, look the same, uh, you know, use the same words and phrases so that we look like a cult. We just need to exalt Christ and to exalt Christ with your gift, with your personality, with your particular setting. That's the beauty of Christianity. Unlike Islam and, and some of these other things, it works and flourishes in all kinds of cultures. People don't have to look the same. They don't have to have the same style of music. And it still works because it's about Christ. It's about the gospel. It, it, it's about how, how different sometimes uh, the settings can be. And so he's going to pick this up with, with what he mentions here, these three guys, uh, himself, Peter, and Apollos, uh, who uh, Apollos was the, probably the pastor of the church there in Corinth at that time. He's going to pick this up again in chapter 3. But perhaps what is going on here is that some see each man as having a different rank of importance. And so they uh, were supposed to follow Peter. Perhaps if Peter was Peter, he was with Christ. And, you know, they knew all about him and the Gospels. Paul first started the church, so he he should get special treatment. 
Uh, we need to follow him, put more emphasis on what he says than the poor Apollos, who's the uh, pastor of the church. Apollos was a good speaker. Paul was not a good speaker. So some said, well, Apollos, you know, he, he's the gifted one. Let's listen to what he's got to say. And then he got those come around and said, well, we just follow Christ. It, it is a matter of pride. Obviously, Paul's not particularly happy with these people either. You know, they're, they're saying it as a matter of pride. But the point is that we are serving Christ and learning his word. And these men were servants to that end, but they were becoming the end. They were becoming my focus. It's not about what, what Christ would have me do is, or what's so-and-so doing now. You know, what's John MacArthur's latest uh, sermon about? What, you know, what's he got to say? What, what's going on with him? Look how God has blessed his ministry, you know. And he gets focused on all these things. And, and, and great men, I love them. You know, John Piper and R.C. Sproul, and he was alive. Um, uh, Bodie Bauckham, you know, these guys, great guys. But they're not Christianity. They're representatives of Christianity. All three had something to contribute to them, to, to the Corinthian church, and they were all to be taken as servants of Christ, but none were to be used as a model other than Christ. Benefit from all, then assuming that only one person is a key to everything. Remember in Jesus' day how he, you know, a rabbi had his own school, his own followers, and that just tends to get us off on tangents, because, well, what rabbi do you go to? Oh, I follow this guy, because I, I think he's got the best take on things and all that kind of stuff. But I want us to see how the Bible works together and not we don't try to force a system into the Bible, but we try to get from the Bible a system, what the Bible is all about. So also in unity, if we keep all this about Christ and understanding his word, that's going to go a long way in keeping us from division. So it's one thing to follow your elders, and it is, it's normal, for instance, that my teachings, as I do most of the preaching here, that it would play a major role in your theology. It would be normal for the elders to have a great influence on the doctrinal stance of the church. That's what elders do. But it's quite another to reject everything else or anyone else that is different. In other words, Jeff and I realize that we don't have a lot of truth. There are other good churches out there. There are other men out there. But God has put us here to minister to you. And that's how we have to keep, uh, that's how we will keep unity. And so, you know, you got someone who follows Johnny Mac out there, and if their pastor goes off his reservation, then, well, I've got to step up. You know, my pastor's lost his way. Because he doesn't do things the way this guy does. Because we assume that one man has everything straight that we can't learn from anyone else. And one way this happens is with the argument that, well, his work has been so blessed. In other words, you know, someone's going to me and said, look, your church is somewhat small. If you just would embrace what this man over here is doing, whose church is much bigger than yours, clearly you'd be better off. Well, it doesn't work that way. You know, I, I, that that a slippery slope because uh, if you're going to say, well, look how God has blessed that work, then we'd all be teaching what Joe Osteen teaches, right? 
I remember when I was in school and I had come to Grace and I was getting ready to leave because I realized the school just really was just not a place I need to be anymore. I was telling someone about that and, you know, that I disagreed with the doctoral stance on this in the school. And, uh, he said, well, yeah, but, you know, the, Dr. Robertson, who was the president of the school, uh, I would be very dis, I would be very careful. I disagree with anything he says because look how God blessed him. Yeah, but you can say that about everybody. God, you know, John MacArthur's over here, John Piper's over there, God's blessed them. You know, what, that's no argument. You know, what does the Bible say? And I've seen a lot of church hopping and internet church because of this very thing. And it's with the obvious result is the weakening of the local church, which is, by the way, the only thing God has ordained. God has not ordained internet preachers. I'm thankful for it. I'm saying it's wrong. But he has ordained specifically gathering together and placing yourself under the authority of the local church. You're not placing yourself under Jeff and I's authority in one sense because we're the elders, but Jeff and I are under the authority of this church, we're under the Constitution, and we're accountable to you just as you're accountable to us, right? And God has ordained that. You don't have deacons and church discipline and uh it, it giving it like that, it, it, out there in the universal church. It, it can only be done in the local church. So our aim is not to agree on every point. That's not what unity is. It's to exalt Christ in the gospel. And it's amazing how easily this gets forgotten. Now, again, discussion over differences to be stimulated. You know, some people are just scared if anybody disagrees about anything. I remember there was a woman in my church in New York who, an older woman, who the very term debate she recoiled from. Uh, her debating is arguing. Any kind of arguing or disagreement is just like, oh, that, we can't have Christian unity if we have that. But no, I, I don't think we should be afraid of debate, afraid of differences. To be able to discuss some differences because it helps. You know, pastors get together and, 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 and talk about these things because we understand that iron sharpens iron. I need to be around people who don't always see things the way I do. It helps me re-examine what I believe. It, it, so, it, and we're not, we might not be in the same church. In, in some cases, we couldn't be in the same church, but we understand that. We each bring something to the table, and it's helpful. We shouldn't be afraid of those things if we're maturing Christ. That doesn't mean to confuse us. It's not the author of confusion, Paul is going to say in this very book. But it's good for us to always be examining ourselves. You know, one thing about Baptists is that they have always understood their function was to always be reformed. Have you ever heard that terminology before? Baptists are always reforming. But what they mean by that is not that we're, we're always in error, we always have to get out of error, but that we no one has a perfect handle of the truth, and so we should always be examining what we believe. Is there a better way to understand that? Is there a better way to live this out? We're, we don't put a creed down, and that's the end of the story. We understand that the Bible is our creed. And we, and we have to obey it. And, and that means sometimes we're going to have to admit that we uh, were wrong or that 
we need to fine-tune the way we understand it. And, and some people are just very scared of that. But that's, that we shouldn't be. Certainly in order to submit to the leaders of the church requires at times to accept their position on some particular view, something that you might not be fully on board with, you might not really understand why the church is doing that, why that decision was made. But I'm a part of this church, so I'm going to submit to this. I'm going to trust that the Lord is going to take care of those things. That's part of what it means to submit to the local church. It's not unlike when a wife might disagree with her husband's decision on something, but she submits to it because he's the leader. And at the end of the day, and this is what's so freeing about submission in one sense, he's going to have to answer to the Lord. And if his decision falls apart and causes problems, well, it's not your fault as a wife. That's what he gets as a leader. And it's okay. It's okay to submit and let the Lord work those things out. The whole family structure isn't ruined and divorced and enrolled because the wife might not agree with her husband. She says, you know what? It's, it's okay sometimes for that to happen. And, uh, you know, we're not talking about if he says something that's contrary to God's word. We're talking about when he makes the decision the best he knows how to. Just let it go. Because, as, as the wife, you can let that go. Because he's the one who's got to answer for it. And, and that's how it works sometimes in the local church. And it doesn't mean that because the elders are fallible and they do make mistakes and they make, they make a decision that might not be the best. At the end of the day, it, it might turn out it was the best not the best. Well, you know, I've got to leave the church because they didn't do it the way I wanted them to and so I'm out of here. So, well, no church can stand if that's the, the, uh, the uh, level that you're going to hold them accountable to. You don't have to leave or have to cause a big problem every time things are different. Jumping ship in some cases rarely means you require forced compliance on every point. And that's, that's the problem. That's the whole point here you got to do it my way or it's the highway. And that's where you cannot have unity. You have division. Because you will not allow there to be differences. If you don't understand there's a difference there. And so I take away from verse 12, and we'll, we'll finish up here real, real soon. I, I didn't think I'd probably get done with this. Um, I take away from verse 12 that the leaders weren't divided the people. In other words, I don't think Paul and Peter and Apollos were at odds with each other. I think that they were doing the best they could and the people were using them to cause division. So we have to be careful there. What about the statement, everyone's opinion is not on equal footing in the local church? As Americans, we, you know, we, everybody's opinion is equally important. Well, no. That's why you have elders. That's why you have adults. You have children. Not everybody's opinion is of equal uh, it doesn't mean that we don't take into consideration everybody's opinion. But at the end of the day, there are those who are accountable. You know, we, we don't live in a pure democracy in this country, and the church is not a pure democracy. And, 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 and if you're going to have unity, you've got to be able to accept that. Now, I won't always get my way. And if you think that as the pastor of this church, I always get my way, you're completely deluded, right? I, I've had to learn that through the years. You know, I, I, I see people, I see people doing things in the church. I think, boy, you know, I think that's going to be a mistake. I think they're going to 
sorry for that. But at the end of the day, I can't change everybody. And, and I take, I'm, I'm okay with that because I know the Lord is their Lord. He'll take care of those things. And I can live and love and get along with people even when I might disagree with them. But I hope that you sincerely and often pray for Jeff and I when it comes to leading the church. And let me just finish with this. We noticed that some were saying that, well, I'm a Christ. And it sounds good on the surface. That's kind of what Paul is saying you got to get to, but they were obviously doing it in a way that was not helpful. I think it's kind of like saying, if people talk about, well, you know, I'm a Calvinist, or I'm, you know, I'm a dispensationist or whatever, and then people say, well, I'm with the Biblicist. I just believe the Bible. Yeah, all Christians believe the Bible. That's not helpful. And I think what it becomes a cop-out of saying, well, I just don't take a stand. I just believe whatever the Bible says, I believe it. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, 2,000 years of church history lets us know it doesn't work that way. <clears throat> if you don't want to label yourself, it, it usually means you don't want to take a stand on doctrine, especially difficult doctrine. That's a pop out. You can't just say I follow the Bible because every Christian tries to do that. So, you know, I call myself a Calvinist, and I unashamedly am a Calvinist. It's not because I follow Calvin. Again, it's going back to what these people are doing. I'm not using his name as, uh, however he sees Christianity, that's the box I'm going to get inside. I'm a Calvinist in that I believe in the sovereignty of God that is referred to as Calvinism. And you have, as soon as you take a stand on a doctrine of of Scripture, you are labeling yourself in some way. So, you're not going to have unity by us to say, well, we all believe the Bible, because what that will always turn into, and I see, I've seen it over and over again, is that we really don't take a stand on anything that might divide, which is most of the main biblical doctrines. And we can't be like that. We have got to say, that's why we have a statement of faith. These things we hold dear, these things we think are matters of the gospel, and to not hold these things, we cannot fellowship with you. We do take a stand. And that brings unity, while it also will exclude some who do not hold to those things, but that's okay. We have to take a stand if we're going to have unity on the important matters of the gospel. And so we, we can't throw leadership away as if following a man's teaching is sinful. If God has placed him there, we are to follow him uh, as uh, the, the, in the position that God has put him as long as he is faithful to preach the word of God. And so the point here is to be unified in spite of the differences. And we'll try to build on all this next week. You know, I often see people use great leaders teaching as a way to divide. And I kind of said that earlier. You've got all these men on you know, a great conference and they're all sitting on stage and they're maybe having question and answer that you got a Presbyterian, you got a Baptist, you got someone who you don't really know what he is, but they're great men. They are, and they're all together having a conference, enjoying each other's fellowship, learning from each other. And then you got people sitting out there and say, well, I only believe what he believes, and, and if you don't hold what he believes, I can't have anything to do with anybody. Well, why? They're getting along. Why can't you get along with other people? We don't want to use uh, men as a way to divide just because there's differences and that appears what they were doing here. The 
followers made much of something that even the leaders didn't see as important to divide over as they did. Well, again, there's, there's a lot more to be said. I hardly got halfway through my message. But, yeah, that's one thing good about going through a book. Uh, you just pick up next week and we'll go through there. So, any questions or comments, though?